Hi, welcome to Back to Excited, episode 99. My name is Irvin. Joining me as always, my colleague from PensionPlanPuppets.com. It's Acting the Fooleman. Hi, everybody. Fooleman, you are um, the proud owner of a midlife crisis purchase, <laughs> as we discussed last night over Twitter. I am not yet the proud owner. I won't believe that I have it until it's delivered. However, I have been eyeing a Helsinki Yokurit jersey for like a long time. And if you're wondering why, Fuleman, have you fallen in love with this very specific KHL jersey, look at it and then look at my profile picture and you'll probably get figure it out. And finally, last night, encouraged by you and others, Arvind, I took the plunge and I have ordered a Helsinki yogurt jersey. It really is a beautiful jersey. Like, it's an amazing logo. I love it, honestly. Like, I think it looks cool as hell. And I haven't bought a jersey of any kind in, like, 12, 15 years. Yeah, because, I mean, jerseys are, to put it frankly, like, useless pieces of clothing. You have to, like, have a really clear idea of where you're going to wear them. And I'm like, all right, I'm wearing this to watch Leaf games and whatnot. Or, like, if you go to one of those, like, game gatherings where, like, everyone's going to tune in and watch the Leafs and everyone has a jersey... I'm going to be the jackass in a yogurt jersey. <laughs> it's like the most hipster move possible. You're not it, you're it not is. even that like you're not even that idiot who randomly wears like a, you know, a Canada Gretzky jersey to a to like a Leaf Sabres game. Yeah, literally everyone will be like, "What? Are you <laughs> who is that?" And I'll be like, "Well, actually, it's funny you should ask." So, yeah. I just leaned into my worst hipster instincts. Again, encouraged by the good folks online. And at PPP, it became a group discussion, and we thought, well, the world is ending. This may be the last hockey jersey I ever buy before the collapse of civilization, so what the hell? Yeah. Honestly, Yokerit should just become, like, a a fashion brand with a logo that good. Yeah. Like, you, you have, I don't know, like, Red Bull has a fashion brand that just sells, like, overpriced crap. <laughs> All they're based on is a good logo and marketing. I'm sure Yokerit could do the same. Exactly. I do genuinely wonder what their sales are relative to a team of their size. It's tough to compare because they're the only KHL team in Finland, but... Yes. Anyway. So, yeah, uh, that was my dubious purchase uh, for a while. I will make no more dubious purchases. It was kind of silly, but what the hell? I've leaned in on this one occasion. Yeah. All right, so with this episode, we're going to go through the remainder of the... 30 teams that are not the Leafs. And we are going to start with Minnesota. The Minnesota Wild. Uh, so, oh, yeah. we should, we should, um, we're, we're rushing. We should give a break, just an overview of where they were before the league stopped. Yes, they were in 21st. Okay. So, 77 points. Their XG was actually real good. And they're, so they're 21st, but they're in a weak conference, in the weaker conference. So, they're one point out of the playoffs? Uh, like, they were right on the tail. So, yeah, they had 77 points, and the bottom wildcard team, Nashville, 78. had 78. So, you know, if the league chooses to resume with one of these 20-team play-in tournaments or some sort of mechanism that gives these fringe teams another kick at the can because they won't get a chance to catch up uh, if the rest of the regular season isn't played, Minnesota could be right in there. You know, they're a very tread-water team, but kind of in an interesting way. Not so much interesting to watch, if you ask me, but interesting in terms of uh, how they've achieved it. Because they're tied for the best defensive team 
at five on five in the NHL, at least according to expected goals. They look really, really good defensively. Devin Dubnik, who has been their starter, has completely fallen apart. And he's actually lost his job to Alex Stalock, who you may remember had like a cup of coffee with the Leafs organization off the Rafi Torres trade, and then basically got booted and sent home, and he was very mad about that. Anyway, regardless, Minnesota's in a weird situation where they've had terrific defensive results, but the offense has been pretty feeble and the goaltending has been awful. And so that's added up to a pretty mediocre team. And it also cost Bruce Boudreau his job, which frankly surprised me a little bit when I heard about it. I mean, it surprised me and it didn't. Or I, I should say this, it didn't surprise me, but I don't think it was a smart move. And I've been wrong on this before. I thought the Bruins were silly to fire Claude Julien when, he did, when they did. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, that's worked off quite well for them. Bruce Cassidy's a clearly shown himself to be a very good coach um, since then. But with uh, with Boudreaux, it's like, I don't see that he had a ton to work with with this roster. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, especially offensively. You know, you, you talked about how their offensive totals were, were, were pretty poor. And, you know, the best offensive player on this team might be, you know, Eric Stahl, 35-year-old Eric Stahl, who's a very good player. Right? Yeah. Borderline Hall of Famer, but... You know that's probably not amazing. They they've lost they lost a huge trade in Nino for Rask, mm-hmm. right? Where you're just like losing a ton of value there. That's entirely on the GM. It wasn't Garen at that time. I don't think. I think no, was it was. Uh, no, it was. Uh, oh my god, I'm blanking on it. Wasn't it Fletcher? Oh. <laughs> uh, or we we can just look this up. Yeah. <laughs> We're off to a rip roaring start. Fenton. Fenton, that's who it was. And uh, yeah, because I was trying to remember, because Fenton had that sort of infamous year of implosion, and all these rumors came out about how he was running things, he wasn't going to scout teams, and all this sort of stuff. And so he got fired after one year. I actually remember that uh, the last time we did this, we opened with the Minnesota Wild again to kick off the second episode, and we talked about his weird description of Matt Zuccarello, and calling yeah. him like a lizard. And yes. that actually turned out to be his swan song, or I guess lizard song, as Minnesota GM, because he got fired like a week later. Like, I don't know if, I don't know if the owner like finally read the lizard quote in the papers and it was just like, okay, fuck this. I can't put up with this anymore. But, just to, uh, just to yeah. remind our, our, our listeners, um, Paul Fenton on Zuccarello. I told him when I was talking to him that he's like a lizard, the way a lizard takes his tongue and sticks it as far as it does and refuse what it was trying to do. <laughs> uh, you know, Paul Fenton may be gone, but that quote is eternal. I'll always remember that because it gets so weird the more you hear it. You know, like, <laughs> like no I, alignment in the verbs and like... I, I sort of get what he's trying to say because like Zuccarello is one of those tiny players who nonetheless seems to win a lot of puck battles. Yeah, and, like, the stick kind of comes out like a, I guess, a lizard tongue. Like, it's sort of like an appendage that extends from him to obtain the puck. I don't know. I mean, it was it was an aggressive use of metaphor. Let's put it that way. But was Paul tried. Fenton a misunderstood genius? <laughs> 
You know what? We complain about quotes being sort of boring, and then we get this, and we don't appreciate it. You know, poetry should have its place in the NHL. Anyway, the result was that this team has been sort of on a slow road to ninth place. A friend of mine and I have called it the Minnesota Curse before, where you are too mediocre to actually do anything. You're not bad enough to draft high, and you're not good enough to make any serious playoff noise. The Minnesota Wild under Boudreaux went on a little run where they did make the playoffs on a regular basis, but they never seriously contended. Yeah. And yeah, and, and so they're sort of, they've been almost running in place for a while now, while Parise and Suter get older, and they have those mammoth contracts that still run for five, oh my six God. years. No, five years yeah, after this. five years after this one. I was going to say four, but it's actually even worse than I remembered it was. I mean, but the thing is, I, I don't remember. If, yeah. yeah, well, I don't remember if the wild owner has deep pockets or not, but like realistically, the, yeah, those are LTIR'd. And uh, that's not costless, right? We've spent a lot of time because of where the Leafs are uh, with their cap situation in the past like few years discussing that LTIR is not costless. There are real downsides to operating above the cap the entire year. You can't bank cap space. It makes... Uh, injury problems potentially annoying, right? Because um, everything either has to go on LTIR or you just have to like forego that roster spot. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've seen with the Leafs where they've they said, "Hey, you know, Andreas Janssen will be back in like a week," and then it's a month later and Andreas Janssen's not back. Yeah, <laughs> mysterious. I wonder what's going on there. Yeah. So there was actually a rumor near the trade deadline that the Wild might trade Zach Parise to the New York Islanders. And it was so fascinating. Now, allegedly, uh, it was Andrew Shaw, I believe, who was supposed to be coming back the other way. Or not Andrew Shaw, Andrew Ladd? Um, I feel like Andrew Ladd, yeah. Yeah, Andrew Ladd is more plausible. He's the bad contract on the Islanders. Sorry about that. And so, I don't know if it's, like, if they could get out of it. That trade apparently fell apart, and we all knew Lulu Amarillo was kind of particular about... Uh, when trades leak to the media, he often gets mad about the breach of secrecy, and he is alleged to kind of scupper the whole negotiations when that sort of thing happens. I don't know. It was also just a big deal that may have been tough to pull off. Parise and Suter are still good right now at age 35. I'm not saying I'd be happy to have a 7.5 million cap hit on each of them, but they're still useful players. Mm -hmm. It's just a question of, okay... Where does this go? At what point do you start having to take other recourse to uh, free up the cap space, like LTR, like we've talked about? And the thing is, with firing Boudreaux, I guess it makes sense to me if you're if you're gonna try and like tank a little bit. Mm-hmm. It's and I don't know how much to read into this because mm-hmm. the the sample is only like uh, let me get the exact number of games. Uh. Sorry, 12. Mm -hmm. Since uh, Boudreaux was fired in the middle of February, they've played 12 games, and they've actually maintained their XG rank over that short period. Yeah. But they've been much higher event. So the offense went up a bit, and the defense went up a bit, and they were still playing pretty well. They won also uh, 8 of the 12 games, for whatever stock you want to put in that. So they had a, a nice little run, so to speak. I just don't know that I look at this team and think, yeah, as you said, if Eric Stahl is your best offensive player at this age, then that's probably not adequate. 
for a serious team. Yeah, I mean, it, it's... And it's worth mentioning, their defense is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. It's really, really, really good. Suter's still very good. Spurgeon's very good. Brodeen's very good. Matt Dumba, you know, we talked about him a lot, and probably a little overrated, but he he's a defender of a certain type that isn't, you know, that common. Mm-hmm. Right? So he has some value there. Like, their their defense is, is legitimately good, and as you said, they're the best 5-on-5 five five defensive team in the NHL. That's that's very, very, you know, that's a that's a big credit to the team and to Boudreaux and to the defensive aspect of the forwards. Like, we, we talked about the forwards, and we're like, oh, they look kind of crappy, and they are, at least mm-hmm. offensively, but they do have actual defensive value, and that does matter, right? Miko Koivu um, is one of the better defensive players of the past, you know, 10, 15 yeah. years. Uh, hasn't really gotten the credit he's deserved for, for, for that skill. Yeah, you, you know, there is a lot to recommend. I should say, you know, as much as I've ragged on them as being a team of perpetual mediocrity, they could get off the treadmill, conceivably, if they got, you know, regularly good goaltending and a bit more finishing talent. I'm not saying they have to become the Tampa Bay Lightning. I'm saying that the window where they can add to this Minnesota Wild team as they have it seems a bit iffy because a lot of their players are up there. Miko Koivu is 37 and expiring. Uh, he has started showing his age a bit lately. You, you'll know if you have those core players who are getting old, then you have to replace them. And it's not clear to me that this team is going to get better in terms of like they will be able to make a big ad in net, which is a dicey proposition to begin with, or at forward to add some finishing talent. They tried something with Matt Zuccarello. And, you know, we even said at the time that was an interesting move by Paul Fenton. It's kind of interesting that he was allowed to do it and then fired. You wonder if the, the ownership thought that that was a good move either. And Zuccarello is still a pretty decent player, but he's not getting any better. And he's got four years at six. You know, there's there's so much hanging over this team in terms of aging of key players, of cap space that is maybe dubiously allocated, and the fact that it's hard to add high-end finishing talent. Like, you know, if you're just naturally thinking, how do I patch a hole or something, you think, geez, this team could really use Mike Hoffman or something like that. You know? They're not as strong at center as they ought to be either at this point. And the Victor Rask trade for Nino Niederreiter, obviously, as we've said, was awful. But, you know, I I do respect the defense that they've put on there. uh, And we'll see if it continues or if it's replaced by something as good under the new coach. It's just, yeah. Of the mushy metal teams, they're kind of one of the more interesting ones because they're the most extreme example of defense, I think. Yeah, they they, they really are. Um, mm-hmm. it, it, it's unclear where they go from here, as, as you've said. I, I don't know a ton about their prospect system, but I don't think they have any... They haven't picked super high, so as far as I know, they don't have any super elite prospects. They do have Kirill Kaprizov in the KHL. Although, man, I've been hearing about him forever. At this point, he might be like 35 years old. <laughs> he's 107. We've got lots of hopes for his rookie year. Yeah, I mean... He's, he's only 22. Been... Yeah, I know. But his he... his stats are very... Like, he's above point per game in the KHL. Granted, he plays for CSK in Moscow, and it's a, it's a weird team. Um, Katya knows a lot more about this stuff than, than we do, but KHL stats can't really be taken at face value um, because there's a huge, huge difference in quality of teams and, and line mates and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But, 
you know, if you're a top line guy on CSKA, that's that's a pretty good place to start. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm doing the quick scan of their prospect list and looking for names that I really recognize. And like, I've heard of Matthew Boldy, and that's the most that I can say about him. It looks to me like they've, you know, drafted fine enough. Like, I, I don't see that there's like, you know, like a, an infamous bust jumping off the page, but then there wouldn't be because they're not picking that high. You know, yep. infamous busts happen in the top five. So, yeah, it's, it's again, they're in a really great position to kind of hold around the middle of the league. They could be a playoff team any given year, but could they be a serious contender? I don't think that I see it, and while there are some things that I do like, I'm not saying that they're going to go completely to shit either, but... The next step is going to be a tough one. I would be really curious to see what Bill Guerin does. There was also that uh, the Jason Zucker trade with Pittsburgh. I mm-hmm. think pretty much everyone agreed that that was, I don't know. Well, I'll put, I'll put it this way. Everyone on the fancy stat side agreed that Pittsburgh robbed the bank there. Yeah, and I was a little more guarded than that. Mm-hmm. Just because yes, I we wondered... talked about this. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, yeah, and so I was almost in the position of sort of defending Bill Guerin. But, you know, Jason Zucker's a great player, uh, has excellent numbers in many respects. He didn't have a huge point total uh, the last couple years. You know, he was a couple years removed from his big high-scoring season with 33 goals, 64 points. And so much of the trade market for scoring wingers is still dictated just by your raw point total. And so maybe you don't pull as much as we think for a guy even who's, you know, considered a very good two-way winger in the fantasy stack community. Or maybe other teams thought that maybe he was being floated by the overall strength of the system, the quality of the players that he got to play with. I don't know. He's also, he's one of those players who has sustained high shooting percentages for a long period of time. The year, so starting with the year before his breakout year. Um, so this is 16-17 when he was 25 years old. Mm-hmm. Uh, got 22 goals, 25 assists, 47 points in 79 games, which is like solid, you know, good middle six production on like basically 13% shooting. The next year, 33-31 on 15% shooting. The next year, so this is 18-19, only 20 and 20 again. And mm-hmm. his shooting percentage went all the way down to 10%. And then uh, now this year again, he's back up to shooting, you know, like 18% or whatever. Right. So, so yeah, like he's yeah. he's one of those guys. Um, but the thing is, unlike a lot of those kind of shooting percentage-based players, he provides a lot of value with play driving. Right. Insofar as you give him full credit for that, and you don't think that he's partly being buffed up by the quality of his line mates. And I know that all of these models attempt to account for that. I'm just observing that there is, you know, when I see a team that has a pronounced team-wide effect of, like, strong defense, or I'm thinking again of the Kings, who for the longest time have had terrific Corsi, Mm -hmm. I do think that there might be some rising tide lifting all boats there. That's not to say that uh, Zucker's not a great player, and he definitely is. And the return for what it's worth was uh, Alex Galchenyuk, who right now we're not sure... It's a reclamation project. Yeah, and, you know, he's expiring. He was almost a make-weight for the salary Mm -hmm. in some ways, especially if he leaves. Maybe they can 
sort of work something up there or get an audition. It's kind of too bad if he was supposed to audition for a new job because now that opportunity may not be there. But they also got back a first-round pick that was protected against the, the Pens missing the playoffs, which they probably won't. And they got a prospect named Kalen Addison, who I'm told is pretty decent. It was a second-round pick. I know Scott Wheeler thought he was a pretty good defenseman. But that doesn't seem like all that much, I would agree, for a player who has Zucker's results and who was under team control for the next uh, three and a half years. That's that the thing. Z- Zucker has a very, very good contract. And on the mm-hmm. note of kind of a rising tide lifting all boats, I, I agree with you. I, I think, you know, we've talked about this many times before, but our current methods clearly don't perfectly insulate or isolate rather for um situation but i think it's more likely to get things wrong for like lower end players who Mm. play a lot with um with with stars or play a lot with you know the the elite players of their team and i think like zach hyman's an example here where i don't think zach hyman is as good as his isolated threat indicates um i think what that kind of shows that Hyman is very, very good in his particular role, but if you tell him to be the best player on the line, I'm not sure how well it's going to go because he just lacks the puck skills to move the puck through the neutral zone. He's very good at doing the digging. Once it's in the offensive zone, he's very good at getting to the front of that, yada, yada, yada. But, you know, I, he can't, I don't think he can drive his own line. He's like the an elite third best player on a, on a line. Um, this is actually a concept that I've, I, I, some NBA people like to talk about where instead of kind of ranking players like oh this is the 20th best player in the NBA it, what you should look at the way you should look at them is this is like the fourth best second best player on your team right mm. like this is the the guy who is best who is best suited to being the second best player on your team part of what made the golden state warriors such a ridiculous team when they had durant thompson uh, curry and draymond is that either whichever durant or curry you say is the best player on their team um, they're, you know, one of the three best players in the world. The other one of them is perfectly suited to be the second best player on a team because mm-hmm. they're so dangerous off the ball. Um, they can shoot. You have to respect them, all that sort of stuff. And then Clay Thompson is the best, third best player on the team you could possibly have because he's the second best shooter in the world. He's a plus defender. Uh, he's unselfish, moves without the ball, all that sort of stuff. And then Draymond Green's like the best, fourth best player to have on a team because you don't need his offense, but he does everything else. Right, he can rebound for you. He can shoot a little bit, not that much, but he's elite defensively. He can guard centers. He can guard threes. He can guard fours. Right, so it fit perfectly. Mm-hmm. I feel like with Hyman, it's kind of the same thing. This is quite far afield um, from where we started, but like with with Zucker, part of the reason I I kind of buy him being actually pretty good uh, is that he's also played with a pretty wide variety of line mates. Mm. Right, so I think the issue we often see is when, you know, the canonical example is like if one of the Sedins sucked, we wouldn't know. Right. But Zucker's played with you know a good amount of people. Most of his minutes have been with Eric Stahl, who have we who as who as we've covered is still a good player. But even beyond that, his numbers are good. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I, I mean, you do have to respect the track record, and to some extent, it's like he has to win the minutes he's in. Mm-hmm. And you can't really expect him to win minutes he's not playing. You know, you can't demand that he produce a sample for you. So, yeah, I mean, I think the Penguins did quite well out of well, it. And, and also, it, you know, if, if you're concerned before, it was like, oh, maybe he's being propped up by those uh, Minnesota Wild yeah. teammates. Well, now he's playing with Sidney Crosby. So that yeah. <laughs> imagine what he's going to do now. 
Yeah, he's in a good position to be propped up. So, yeah, I don't know. We'll see. I mean, and he has been producing. He has something like 12 points in 15 games in Pittsburgh. He's like the so, perfect Crosby winger, I think. Yeah, he's going to do fine. And most wingers of any kind of scoring caliber can play with Crosby, obviously. Remember but when there's that good. narrative? It's like, man, it's hard to play with Sidney Crosby. Because you got to be so, you know, next level. And then like, you look at the stats and everyone's just way better with him. Okay, Pascal Dupuis was the nicest guy in the world. He seemed like a delightful human being, just like a classic grinder. But they were like, wow, it's a, mirac- <laughs> it's a miraculous turn of events that Pascal Dupuis can play with Sidney Crosby that one year. And it's like, no, he can just sort of play NHL hockey. And because he's playing with the current best player in the world, he's got 60 points for a year, you know? Uh, that was funny. Yeah, like they acted like, you know, you couldn't put someone superior with him and expect superior results. But whatever. We should probably move on. Uh, we spent half an hour on the wild. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to break our record of that from yeah, last week. This, this could get bad. Okay, so the Minnesota Wild, kind of running in place. Lots of defense to recommend them. Not sure about that coaching change. Have a lot of issues probably deciding which way to go, and it's a fraught decision for them. Okay, our favorite, the Montreal Canadiens. Yay! Uh, the Montreal Canadiens are actually not maybe as bad as I wish they were. Now, they're in 24th in the standings. And they're, they're is, out of the playoff hunt. Oh, they're done! And so I don't support any playoff format that allows the Habs to get back in it. I firmly believe that. Actually, you know what? If you were doing this purely on what's kind of, I would say, more fair in terms of teams that are close, after Minnesota or Arizona, it's pretty clear that none of those teams would come close to the playoffs down the stretch. So, yeah, I mean, I think Montreal should be out in any system unless they take the top 24, which I would be upset if they did. However, top 24 is insane. Here's 80% of the league. It makes no sense. Like, what's the, the point? Yeah, well, the only point would be we want to play more games and recoup what revenue we can. But that said, it's also partly premised on can we open the gates and have 20,000 people in one place. And I think we're a ways from that being something that can happen for a while. Yeah. So who knows? Anyway, let's assume that they're missing the playoffs because I think that's better for everyone. They're kind of as they were. They have just absolutely terrific fancy stats mm-hmm. under some readings. Claude Julien has consistently gotten good results out of his teams in that respect. And we've talked about this before. His teams maybe are are better at driving play than actually finishing. And that's why they seem to underperform their metrics to some extent. That's my best guess. Uh, the goaltending has been kind of up and down, let's be honest. Carey Price has come and gone, and coming and going when you have a contract of that size is not terrific, but whatever. Um, yeah, so they're a top three team in XG on the year. You do have to respect that, and yet this team doesn't look that impressive, for one thing, and I know that that's pure eye test, but like, I don't think that this is a great team in waiting 
they scare me. They could be better than their record. But I just don't look at this team and see a lot of guys who I think are bona fide first-line players. I see one. It's Brennan Gallagher. And then, you know, Max Domi had a really hot year last year. Dram we've talked about before, but I think that he's a, a great power play specialist and kind of a middling five-on-five player. I could be too low on these guys because, you know, it's the Habs. And I'm not predisposed to like them, but, like, do you look at this team and see something that's, like, one move away? I mean, yes and no. It's... That's a... I, I, I'm... I, I always look at a team that has really good five-on-five uh, numbers in mm-hmm. terms of you know shots and whatnot and I think okay that like that's that's the basis of something good right right um and if you if you do that you have a lot of you you've done in a sense almost the hardest part right right but with the Habs this has been and with Julian in particular this has been a three or four year pattern at this point where his teams get really good um really good offense or re- so really good five on five numbers and then just kind of aren't able to score mm-hmm. and e- even in boston where i guess they did have finish i mean david pasternak wasn't david pasternak yet um but you know the boston's not short on decent forward talent they weren't able to finish and and i think at some point i do wonder okay is, is there something going on there that makes it that like independent of the players themselves is making it harder for them to actually score on on, on the opposition. Uh, that I don't know. The other thing that hurts them is they they pretty much always seem to lose the um, power play battle, the special teams battle. Yeah, I I thought their power play this year was actually a little better mm-hmm. than it has been in years past. It's generally been kind of disappointing, and we've talked about how. It relies on the big booming Shea Weber slap shot, and that's terrific because it's a great shot, except he kind of takes away chances from the rest of you. So let's see, where were they actually? <laughs> I mean, their power play was in 22nd on percentage, so <laughs> maybe I was a bit kind. <laughs> I think it was better than before, but yeah, it's still not it's still yeah. not great, and I think they lose some... Um, they lose some margin for error for that. But, like, the thing is, if they just performed, if their 5-on-5 five five goals for percentage was the same as their 5-on-5 five five expected goals percentage, this is probably a playoff team, even with the bad um, power play. Yeah. I should say, because Catch is going to want to fire me because I used unadjusted power play percentage, in expected goals for rate at 5-on-4, they're 28th in the NHL. So I retract what I said. I thought their power play was getting better, but it's still pretty bad. So... Yeah, I, I mean, that's a problem. And, you know, the whole game is not played at 5-on-5. Five five. And that's something that they got to deal with. So, yeah, I don't know. I've actually, and I, it pains me to say this, but, like, I don't think that everything that Mark Bergerman has done has been stupid by any means. Uh, he did yeah. quite well to pick up Kovalchuk at the side of the road, and he flipped him for a third. That's also, they have a, a, they have a ton of picks. Yeah, and they have they ha- that includes some players that I think are good. Now, they're they're kind of losing their minds over Nick Suzuki. I know that you've talked about this. Because, you know, they think that he's going to be the light and the savior. I don't know about that. He's a good player, though. He's legit. To he's going to be, gonna be a, a top six player for sure, and, you know, maybe a top liner. 
Yeah, I, I would say top liner is well, yeah, like well within the the normal range of outcomes for him because you know he's already quite effective, and so yeah, they should be excited about that. There are things that are going pretty well for the Habs, and as much as I've dunked on Bergevin for some things, it has by no means been like a complete disaster top to bottom. I also don't think that Jasperi Kotkaniemi and Ryan Paling are like crap now. Yeah. They each had a bit of a, like Kotkaniemi had a rough year, but he's 19. He made the, the NHL at 18 and was pretty effective in a role there. Maybe something has radically changed, but I would still bet on him being a quite good player in the long run more than not. And I also think Paling is going to be decent. So, yeah, you know, it's just what you look at here is a team that's kind of trying to rebuild on the fly. And as you said, they actually have an insane number of picks. Like, <laughs> but the, the longer you... Yeah. But the turd in the punch bowl is that price contract. Yeah, and I don't know what the way out is there. I mean, I don't I, think there is one. Well, yeah. It, so we talked about this with with Parise and Suter. At some point, it'll probably be LTIR, sure. But you know, Price isn't that old yet. He's thirty two. I don't think it's going to be LTIR next year. No. Right. It might be like maybe this contract goes on for what, like seven more years or uh, six. One, two, three, four, five, six after this one. Yeah. So six more years after this one, even if it's just, you know, three years of, of price at 10.5, like he's not worth 10.5. He, he hasn't even been, you know, above average this year. No. And that's a problem. And so you, you start to get into questions of, okay, he's still physically capable of playing the position. How aggressive are you going to get with LTIR? I don't think that, you know, he would have to really fall off a cliff. And he's actually kind of threatened to do that at times in the last few years. But the years, thing is, right now, he's, he's, he's just run-of-the-mill. Right now, he's great. gotten back to average. Yeah. And so, yeah, they may just be stuck with that for a while. And that's in excess of, what, five, six million in cap it over its actual value? And, and that's a lot worse than the situation Minnesota is in with their goaltenders, to just, you know, draw an example there. Where Minnesota's goaltenders have been problematic, but Dubnik is expiring after next season. And mm-hmm. Staylock's making a negligible amount. Right, so, like, so they have a way out, whereas yeah. the Habs are locked. And, and even though it's hard to find goalies you can be confident in, at least the Wild will have the roster space and the cap space to do so. The mm-hmm. Habs can't. You can't pay for another goalie while Price is on the roster. Especially with Montreal Media, that's going to be a recipe for toxicity. Yeah, that's, that is threatening to be the worst contract in the league if it isn't already. I mean, Bobrovsky's is close, depending on how that goes. Mm-hmm. And it's the same type of deal, so... <laughs> Don't pay goaltenders. Yeah, certainly not like that. And, yeah, so that that's kind of where it's at. Now, they have... Yeah. I will say this. They have a lot of good, young, complimentary forwards. Like, if you could pick up an entire first line and, like, plop them on the halves... Obviously, literally every team would get way better, but the Habs would be extremely well positioned. I, I would say, like, they, if they had one other, like, I think Gallagher's like a superstar player. I, I think people mm-hmm. don't recognize how good he is. Um, if they had one other superstar forward, they'd be a ridiculous team. 
Like, if the Sebastian Ajo offer sheet yeah. works. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They're they're a great team then. Um, the thing is, they do have, as as we said, they have a lot of picks to, as, as ammunition, they can use them to draft players. Um, right, that's not never a bad option. Mm-hmm. Or they could really, you know, go ham and try and make some hay on the trade market. I, I, I don't remember how well they were doing when um, Hall was on the market, but he would have been an interesting land. It would have been an interesting landing spot for him to to go to Montreal. As much as I would have hated it, because Hall was a very good player. Mm-hmm. He's kind of exactly well. He's what, what every team needs, but he would help them a lot. He would definitely. Yeah, I, I suppose we keep alluding to how many picks they have. We might as well say they have fourteen picks. In the next draft, including three seconds, two thirds, three fourths, two fifths, uh, one sixth, and two sevenths. That's quite a lot of ammunition. Now the Leafs had this in 2016, and they didn't really turn it into a hell of a lot, frankly. We didn't. I mean, have they had 11. Picks, though, did we? No, we had 11. Yeah. But uh, you know, and we picked Matthews first overall, and then it went downhill from there. Yeah, of course, Croft and Brooks are about the size of it the rest of the way, and maybe Joe Wall, but. You know, if they do this... The disrespect to Nicholas Matten. <laughs> if they do this correctly, though, the Habs, again, could be adding a lot to their system. You know, if you could just... It, it's this thing, and I think that we've seen it a lot with a lot of teams, is the struggle of changing timelines. And it's rare that it's as clear-cut that, okay, we are a full-on rebuilder, there's nothing that we're even worrying about. That's almost the freeing thing about where Detroit is because they absolutely suck ass, but they have no incentive whatsoever to do anything but focus on rebuilding. You know, like there's no, we have to try and compete. There's no, our our contracts are going to get worse because they're already awful. They're just waiting them out now. Montreal is good enough to be a playoff team in any given year. Price and Weber are going to get worse. And so they have to think, okay, how do we balance injecting talent into the system with trying to get some sort of contention now? And, you know, I don't know what the, the ownership situation is in there. He seems, Jeff Molson seems to like Mark Bergevin just fine. But I'm sure that like most owners, he wants to make the playoffs and get that gate revenue at some point. And so... A, a lot of non-success over an extended period will start to tell on Bergevin. You know, it will eventually cost him his job. So they're not in a bad position in a lot of respects, except that they made certain moves that were clearly were going to contend soon. That didn't work. And now they're in a retool on the fly that is not by any means being badly executed for the most part. But that may not be sufficient. Yeah, it's, it's fighting a war on two fronts, basically. Yeah. And so, they're an interesting team. And, like, all snark aside, I get some of what they've been doing. But I'm not sure that they found a way out. And to their credit, I again, I don't think the Sebastian Aho offer sheet was good enough. Because it was at a level where Carolina matched. But it's the right idea. They have to swing bigger if they're going to try that again. But, like, they need to be thinking, if we're going to salvage this version of the team as a true contender, we have to inject top-end talent. And that means that they should have chased John Tavares, who did not give them an interview. And it means that they should chase 
uh, appealing RFAs. So we'll see if they find a way out of that box. Right now, I don't think they're going to do it, and they'll be positioned to be pretty good, but not good enough. Yep. All right, who is next? I believe it's New Jersey. Uh, yeah. Or wait, it is it Nashville? Is... No, it's Nashville, yeah. Nashville, then New Jersey. Yes. The Nashville Predators have had a disappointing year, I think it would be fair to say. Mm-hmm. Um, they're in the last wild card spot in the West right now. They're 19th overall in the league. It's real tight. Um, but we expected this team to be better, at least I did. I thought they were going to be like a top three team in the West. And I don't think that it's worked out that way. They made that huge acquisition of Matt DeShane. I don't know that they super regret unloading P.K. Saban right now because Saban has had a brutal year in New Jersey. But DeShane's been okay. He's been productive. He hasn't been a superstar. And Nashville has, for the longest time, been trying to add marquee forward talent. They've added, you know, Kyle Turris and Ryan Johansson. And now Matt DeShane. They still have Philip Forsberg, who's a quite good sniper. Who's and the, they absolutely... probably the best player of all of them. Yeah, uh, I mean, I would have to say. He's also, you know what? This is just an aside, but I did a Twitter poll once. And I was like, who is the sneaky, dirtiest player? Oh, yeah, he's, he's a and, shithead. Yeah, he's a complete shithead. Yeah, and so, like, the top answer was Malkin. Yes. Uh, and, you know, that's also true. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, anyway, Forsberg is a rat, but he's also a sniper. And, you know, they have a lot that I envy. Roman Yossi has had a Norris-caliber season. I I think that they ought to give it to him, frankly. I don't know if they will. Maybe they will just as part of the principle of recognizing talent. But it hasn't come together for Nashville the way that they would have hoped. And I'm not sure what you make of that. You know? What I don't I, know how... Well, yeah. the thing is, you look at them on at even strength, and they're fine-ish. Um, yeah. So, you know, if you... Even strength goals for percentage, they're seventh. It's 5v5 mm-hmm. goals for percentage, I should say. Maybe you didn't expect them to... Maybe you expect them to be higher, but, you know, if you're seventh there, I mean, the margins are pretty fine, right? You're, yeah. you're a couple goals away from fifth, a couple goals away from eighth. Um, you know, you're you're in a good spot. Special teams has just murdered them. They've... Yeah. Their power play has underperformed expectations, and their penalty kill has underperformed expectations. And I think that's the the biggest thing like that's why they their goal differential is, is pretty much even is it not according to nhl.com it is slightly negative although nhl.com um does not count or nhl.com counts losing in a shootout as an additional goal against which is not actually true but regardless nashville is about even in goal differential and i think most of that is from their special teams yeah they haven't managed to produce much on the power play and in terms of expected goals they're better than you might think the 12th mm-hmm. 5v4 but it hasn't come together. And I think that they've also had, speaking of Shea Weber, but they always seem to me to have a bit of the same problem where when your best players are defensemen, how do you work with that? How do you make that, make like satisfactory power plays that finish with good forwards? Because if you run everything through the big booming shot, that's not how a modern NHL power play works most of the time, unless you have Alex Ovechkin. It's a good weapon, don't get me wrong. You can do a lot with it. But you need that high-end forward talent to be finishing closer to the net. 
Yeah, and, and to their credit, like their their shot plot is no longer as obviously stupid on the power play, and maybe getting rid of Subban helps with that. Yeah, uh, you know, he is shot happy as much as I like him. Uh, you know, I have to acknowledge that he is one of those defensemen that I slightly fear. <laughs> because they remind me of Tyson Berry. But the whole thing adds up to this team has not been... I really think a lot of it just has to do with that, that power play. Yeah, it's bad. But like they're also like a middling XG team. I would expect more from a team with this caliber of defensemen and some decent two-way forwards. Now, it has to be added. Pekka Rene's had an awful year. Like, age, as we've said, comes for everybody. Last year it hadn't come for him yet. This year it looks like it's coming. He's 37. And he's got one year left. They have UC Saros waiting in the wings, who they think is probably the guy. And he's sort of taking over as a, a 1B transitioning to 1A versus Rene. But, you know, it, it's tough when your, your goaltender falls off a cliff. But they're still, it all adds up to, this is kind of a middling team. And we've talked about a lot of middling teams. This team ought to be better, in my opinion. I really would expect more out of them. And I'm not surprised that it got uh, Peter Laviolette fired. I'm surprised that it got him replaced by a guy who just got fired in New Jersey. But, uh, you know, they needed more out of the personnel they, they had, and they've used a lot of bullets to build this team. Yeah, they, they're kind of all in. And it's not like it would be a mm. failure if they kind of end this era on a bit of a downward slope. They had a good run, right? Reality is not every team can win. Doesn't mean you're a failure mm-hmm. if you don't. Um, or it doesn't mean, like, you know, you have to look back at it as, like, oh, you know, everything they did was stupid or whatever. But, yeah, I, I think that's fair for you to say. Like, they, their 5-on-5 five five goal differential is good, but they're also overperforming their expected goals, right? Um, and part I think it's mostly on the offensive side mm-hmm. that that's happening. But yeah, yeah it, it seems like they so. should be better just at carrying play. Right, and you know, for the longest time, they had that defense that was the envy of the world. That was probably the best defense in the NHL when they had, you know, they've had Weber and Suter earlier, and now they've had Yossi, Saban, Ellis, Ekholm. Lots of guys who have churned through there, who have been good to great defensemen. And they still have Yossi, Ellis, Ekholm, and they've got Dante Favreau on the way up who uh, I really like as a prospect. I guess he's not so much a prospect now. He's more of a an NHLer. But it just adds up to me like... It's not like they're going to fall apart next year, for the record. If things come together for them, if Saros gives them the goaltending, they still have a lot of guys who are at least late prime. Yeah, but but, I, I think the biggest issue, yeah. though, is, is Turris and Johansson. Right, because they're declining. Well, that, like their their numbers, they have not been good this year. And then no. it's like, okay, I mean, Turris, I think it's just clear to say he's in decline. With Johansson, it's like, okay, if this is the start of a decline, that's really not good for us. Yeah, because they've committed big to him mm-hmm. on you know eight million a year for term. I mean, both of them too. Like Turris' yeah. deal, six million for the next four years. Turris' deal is a nightmare, and you know what? I thought he was better, and it has not worked out pretty much since he got to Nashville. To the extent they were clearly hoping for. But they have a lot of these big contracts. It is also worth noting, in terms of giving term to depth, 
that's normally not something that you popularly do. Nashville has given considerable term to multiple depth players over the years. And you see this with Colton Sissons, or Sissons. I actually don't know how his name is pronounced. Colton, let's call him, as this term deal that's 2.857 for six years after this one. And he's a 26-year-old third-ish liner. And they did it with Callie Yarncroft. They gave him six years at two million. Even I don't know Austin Watson, three years at one point five, and I, I still don't know how they how they got Victor Arvids into that deal. Yeah, that Victor Arvidsson deal is uh, it's an absurd make you feel deal. better. Yeah, I mean he's he's had a bit of a down year. He struggled this year. I think he had he had a concussion problem, right? That was pretty severe. So you hope that hasn't that isn't still affecting him. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's 26, he has a, a goal scorer's touch. There's just, I confess I'm more disappointed in Nashville than a lot of other teams. I, I still think they have time to take more kicks at the can. The window is not closing, in my opinion, unless their players just get worse. But, like, I'm not seeing too many core players that are over 30 yet. They're turning 30. But they could come out and have a, a rip-roaring year next year. It's just... When this does end, you know, they have a lot of fat term contracts now. They don't have a ton of flexibility left. And now, as we've said, they famously have produced really good defensemen throughout pretty much the entire last 15 years. You know, David Poyle has also been their GM since eternity. But, yeah, I'm... If I'm in David Poyle's position, I would have a hard time specifically diagnosing what to do next season other than maybe just run it back. I Like, I would, you know, you've changed the coach. Maybe you can get something better there. You'll free up a bit of money, I guess. And maybe just take another run at it and see where you go. Because there's a lot to like about this team, in my opinion. And I'm kind of surprised they're as, as middling as they are. Yeah, okay. Um, who who is next? Uh, the New Jersey Devils. Uh, oof, that's been a... You know what? I was kind of like, you know, if everything goes right for the Devils, I could see them, you know, scrapping for a playoff spot, and you were like, mm, I doubt it. And so... <laughs> well, it, it was just... One of us... Yeah, yeah. The, the... I think my, my argument was just, you know, there's a long way to climb. Yep. And, uh... Well, one of us turned out to be more right than the other on that one, and I'm afraid it was not me. <laughs> the Devils were at in 26th place at the time that uh, the league suspended operations. They were near point of game, so they weren't as abysmal as it looked like they could be earlier. Their goal differential is just garbage. But Mackenzie Blackwood has gotten hot in net lately for them, which has been kind of nice. They needed something to feel good about. They, you know, other than that, it's been a disastrous year. Yeah. It really has. There's no way to get around it. They thought they, they were going to take a big step. They were making moves with an eye to convincing Taylor Hall to re-sign with them. The team went to shit. And so they basically realized they won't be able to retain Taylor Hall, which is a huge blow in and of itself. And so they traded him for... 
I would say maybe not the best return. I thought it was a mistake, as I said last episode, for Arizona to make it, given the position they were in. But after winning one of the most infamous trades of the last decade in Hall for Larson, to have it kind of peter out like this is a sad ending. It's the rare lose-lose trade. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they got one heart trophy season out of him, and it'll be forever, but then subsequent to that, it's... Uh, there's a real impatience, I think, in New Jersey with how things have gone, and it cost not only the coach's job, but subsequent to that, the general manager his job, Ray Shiro, who I thought did a lot of smart things in New Jersey, couldn't get it done. And so, yeah, it's it's been ugly. The Saban thing hasn't worked out, and I have to say, I thought it would be better than it has been. Uh, they acquired Nikita Gusev, who we all wanted. Gusev has actually been productive. You know, yeah. he hasn't been a bad player. Uh, but, you know, by and large, I, <sighs> rough times in New Jersey. Yeah. They're, like, they're they're a bad team. <laughs> mm-hmm. And from what I've seen from people yeah. who know the Devils better than I do, like, the, the real issue is just they haven't really gotten much from their drafting. And that's really where Shiro mm. fell apart. Where, like, a lot, a lot of the moves that we see, yeah. where, like, the trades were, were generally fine. The acquisitions were, were generally okay. Drafting was just a disaster. Um, missing so huge on Pavel Zaka in a ridiculously deep draft, that has cost them hugely. Yeah, that was uh, that was a painful experience for them. Uh, you know, they, they had Nico Hishir, who I like a lot, actually. He was fine. Uh, he's not the problem. Jack Hughes has had a bit of a rough adjustment, but as has been rightly pointed out, you know, how often is it that a, an 18-year-old comes into the NHL and can play? We may feel like it's more often than it is because we watched Matthews do it, although he turned 19 at the start of the year. But it's just really hard to be an effective NHL player in your first draft year, yeah, we, especially on an already not-that-great team. We've gotten spoiled but, in the past few years where, like, Matthews did it 18 going on 19, Line A, um, McDavid, obviously, and, did, and Eichel did as well. Right, yeah. so, but but it's like that was kind of a bit of a a huge run on, on young elite talent coming into the league. Mm-hmm. You know, mo- most people don't do that. Yeah, no, I just like looking in that 2015 draft. Here were the top ten picks: Connor McDavid, Jack Eichel, Dylan Strome, Mitch Marner, Noah Hannafin, Pavel Zaka. Uh, Ivan Provorov, Zach Wierenski, and Timo Meyer, and then Nico Rantanen at 10. Absurd top that's 10. Br- yeah, that's a huge, like, I would say 8 of those 10 are, like, really, really strong picks. Like, proportionate to their position. And then Strom is a bit of an up and down, and then Zach is the clear disappointment. That sucks. That's a kick in the teeth. The thing is, um, if, if you just randomly sampled yeah. from, like, 11 to 20 you have a decent chance of getting a better player than, than Zaka, right? Because you get... So Kraus and Guryanov, not great. Zaboro, not great. DeBrusque, good. Seneshin, eh. Barzal, Connor, Shabbat, all excellent. Svechnikov and Eriksson Ek, pretty good. Like, the, the chance of getting Barzal, Connor, or Shabbat, like, you, you, you would trade Zaka for a random a, a random pick in from 11 to 20. Yeah, definitely. And, oh, yeah, I mean, you wouldn't get it at this point. Oh, of course. Yeah. And, um, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then even going so, further back, like that, that draft, yeah. we're going to remember that as similar to the tw- 2003 draft, right? Besser, Konechny, um, Anthony Beauvillier, Sebastian Ajo. Yeah, a lot of good players. Vince Dunn. Yeah, I, I mean, that's that, that has a decent bet of being like one of the best. That's like that. It already is one of the best drafts. Jeremy Bracco, definitely like, worth your insane. second pairing defenseman. Yeah. <laughs> Just an absolute lock. But yeah, so all that adds up to New Jersey is a bad team now. They're a bad five-on-five team. They had to give up on Hall, which is a clear sign of it's not working out. They have a lot of aging players who, you know, I don't really know what's going to come of them at this point in terms of like, you know, they've still got Travis Zajac and stuff like that. It's just disappointing with all the injections of talent that they've had with Heischer, with Hughes with Hall, with Saban, that it didn't add up to anything more than this. Mackenzie Blackwood looking like maybe he can be the goalie of the future is great. Uh, They're paying Corey Schneider uh, a painful amount of money for a while, and this is not a team that is either especially wealthy or that draws very well when it's not doing well. It's tough times in Jersey. It very much is. Yeah, I don't have a ton of consolation to offer them other than at least they have their own first-round pick. And if uh, if Vancouver makes the playoffs, which they're narrowly on a, a road to do, uh, they'll pick twice more in the first round probably. So, you know, it's it's a time for Tom Fitzgerald or whoever replaces him to kind of start the rebuild road again. But they had a bit of a false start. The year they made the playoffs with Hart, with Hall playing at a Hart Trophy level, that's a false dawn, as it turns out. And they're back to being at pretty much the early stages of a rebuild, except with some talent already on the books. I do like Heischer a lot. Yeah, and Hughes, of course. Yeah. Yeah, of course. So, yeah. It could get better quickly. That's, That's the one thing you have to say, because... They have a lot of talent locked in. It's just been kind of a letdown uh, all around. And so I think that Jersey would be right to be disappointed. Yep. Okay. Uh... So next up is the New York Islanders, every Torontonian's favorite team. <laughs> yes, they love us. We love them, and rightly so. I think, so I want to start off by saying it has to be acknowledged that Barry Trotz has gotten more out of the Isles than I thought he was going to be able to do in the last couple of years. They've done more than I thought they had in them. That said, I don't think that this is actually that good a team. That's my honest conclusion. If they don't get goaltending, and Barry Trotz teams have often gotten good goaltending, but if, if they don't get extraordinary goaltending, you start looking at a team that is defensively pretty solid and can slow the game down in this low event, but that is a below-par expected goals team that is paying a ton of money on mid-level contracts that are three, four-plus years, and that I don't know that I would want any part of, frankly. There's actually a lot here that I would be worried about if I were an Isles fan. And that's not just me being sort of snarky because they're annoying and whine about Tavares all the time. Yeah, I mean, it's... Like, 
Yeah. So th- they're in a similar spot points-wise to the Leafs. Um, mm-hmm. The one thing I'll say is the Leafs have genuinely been better since the Keefe, uh, I guess, promotion, right? Mm-hmm. So when you look at the Islanders, they, they I think league-wide, they're right around, um, like points-wise, they're slightly above average, similar to the Leafs. But when you look at all their underlying numbers, they seem like they're an average team. And it seems like yeah. they've kind of overperformed their goal differential to get to the point where they are. Yeah, and they've always insisted we can do that, as so many teams have. But I think it's fair to say they they seem to be to be doing better than you would expect for an extended period. And I know Dom Lachishan at the Athletic has talked about this. His model was very low on the Islanders, and he said he didn't think it was accounting for their defense as fully as it should have at the time. But at the same time, it's like this doesn't add up to a team that I think is a bona fide contender because I don't think the high-end talent is really there. Matt Barzal is awesome. They should be really happy. They're going to have a bit of a fraught negotiation with him over the summer, but, you know, RFAs don't tend to leave teams of that caliber, so let's assume they get it done. But they have these deals where I'm like, you know, Kyle Clutterbuck has two years after this at 3.5. the John Gabriel Pajot deal that they signed upon acquiring him, where he's making five million a year for six years down the road, like he's a decent player, but he was coming off a huge shooting heater that he's probably not going to repeat. I don't know about this team at all, frankly. I think that Lou Lamorello, who I actually have always said got a little underrated in some respects in Toronto for all the mistakes he made because he did do some things well. I think Lou Lamarillo has made mistakes in Long Island that are going to hurt them pretty bad. Yeah. Their they're top-end players are, like, good top-end players, but, yeah, they're, they're, they're just paying too much to the middle guys. All right? I mean, Martin's deal isn't, isn't a problem now, um, but still, it's probably there's better uses of his cap space. Uh, Leo Komarov still has two years at three million. He was washed a, two years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just I, I'm I don't trust this team to get better soon. No, neither do I. Even though they have, you know, they do have a, a few people. Bodie Wild, who is uh, a defense prospect, he's considered to be really good. Yeah, Oliver. Oliver Wallstrom. Yeah, Wallstrom's stock has dropped a little bit, but he's he's young and he was well thought of. So, you know, they have this defense group that is seems to be more than the sum of his part, its parts, I would put it. You know, they have Johnny Boychuk, Nick Letty, Andy Green, Thomas Hickey, and then Ryan Pulak, who is, like, legit good. Uh, Scott Mayfield, and then they've got Noah Dobson, who's on the way up, and who looks like he could be the real deal. But they've put together good results, despite the fact that I wouldn't say they really have a guy I would have considered a top-pairing guy. Boychuk and Letty both have flirted with being that in their careers. I don't know. I have this problem when I look at the Owls roster where it's just sort of like low name recognition, almost. It's just a bunch of names of guys who I view as, eh, okay. And not a lot of guys who I look at and think, oh, I really envy that player. 
Like, I wish I, I wish we had Matt Barzal, but a lot of these contracts beyond that, I would want no part of. And, you know, it looks like with the Peugeot trade and other moves that they made, they may be out of uh, the first two rounds this year, which is not a great position to be for a middling team. I don't know. <laughs> are they as bad as I think they are? Like, I don't think they're awful, well, but... I mean, I don't think you think they're bad. It's just they're... They're not, like, a real contender. No. Right? I I, I don't see them as a real contender. And, I like, again, this might be seen as biased because the Leafs have basically the same point total as they do. I see the Leafs as much more of an actual contender than... than the Islanders. Yeah. Right? Um, simply because I think the Leafs are genuinely a better team. Right? The the Islanders have... There, there's nothing in their profile that makes me think they're anything more than an average team. Like a, a 50% goals for team. Yeah. Right? And, and that's and what that's they've been what this year. Done. And they've... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I, don't, I don't believe they have some magic that helps them win close games. So, yeah. I, I think the big thing with them is... Where, where are they going to go from here, right? They, their flexibility is all kind of torn up. And one thing I really like about this exercise of us going around the te- other teams in the league, and a commenter mentioned this uh, in the comments of the last piece, is like, you see how many teams are just like, wow, they just don't have talent. Or like, wow, they just don't have flexibility, mm-hmm. right? And you really don't want to be in that position where, you, where both of those things are happening to you. I think yeah. the best thing going for the Isles right now is their coach. I think they have a great coach. Yeah. That's about it. <laughs> well, no, that's not about it. But, like, that's not enough. And, you know, mm-hmm. they're they're going to have to re-up Matt Barzal, and that's fine. They'll do it. You do that all the time. But depending on how the cap situation plays out, once that's done, they probably won't have a ton of room left to maneuver. Like, they'll get him, and then they'll promote some warm bodies to fill spaces. But this is the team that they've committed to. And I think that it's a bit like the impulse that we saw with some of the later Detroit teams where you believe you have something solid and you lock in all the pieces. You don't just lock in the core, you lock in the complementary pieces. And it works as well as, one, the complementary pieces are better than their position, and two as long as what you've built is on the whole a real contender you know it, it, for chicago for a while trying to you know keep bringing the band back together and stuff like that worked for them because they were really good the isles feel to me like they've committed pretty substantially to a team that adds up to being eh. and it stands out even by contrast to teams like minnesota who had false starts towards contention and who have a couple big contracts, whereas the Isles have a ton of these middling contracts. And even individually, you know, most of them aren't that bad, except for Andrew Ladd's deal, which is atrocious. But you put them all together where it's an overpay of 1.52 million here, and you're looking at a ton of squeeze, like a complete loss of space and flexibility to get this team over the hump. I don't know. They're actually not in an enviable position to me. I would I would rather take over one of the other middling teams that we've talked about before I would want to try and fix the aisle situation. 
I'd agree with that. It's not. It doesn't seem very easy. Yeah. So you know, that I mean that said, they bedeviled us. They certainly do have some players. Yeah, they're they're not awful. They're just not great, and they're kind of committed now. So good luck with that, kids. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I guess we can move across town to the the New York Rangers. Right. They were having a fun surge. They were in 16th at yeah. the time the league suspended operations. Um, Pretty much entirely on the back of Artemi Panarin and Mika Zibanejad. Yeah, it's remarkable because like their underlying numbers are kind of ass. They don't look like a good team. They're awful. They're really bad. Yeah. No, they're, and, they're not uh, a good team. I, I I don't know what their coaching staff is doing. Like, every time I watch them, they just seem so open. Mm. No defense ever. Yes. Yeah, uh, and they gave Chris Kreider and, and, a big fat extension, eh? That was interesting. Yeah, and they're just they're out shooting their their expected goals by like a, almost a comical amount, and a lot of that's off the back of Panarin and Zibanejad, and they're both great players. I don't think they're going to sustain this going forward. Hmm. Well, that's good. Uh, so they have. <laughs> They have two dynamite goaltending prospects, and then they have the aging king, Henrik Lundqvist. They've been juggling three goalies like a circus trick for a while now. And, you know, we heard all that nonsense about, like, what it will cost to get Georgiev. You know, we're not going to pay that price. And we seem to have gone in another direction entirely with uh, Jack Campbell. But they have Shesterkin, who looks like he's going to be good. But I don't know. This is a bit weird because they were like full in on a rebuild, which they declared openly. And I, I kind of respected them for that. And now they have a team that is like that team t- to try and jumpstart its way out of the rebuild process. Like they were doing everything in the patient right way. They saw Artemi Panarin. They said, oh, hell yeah, we're going to get him. Uh, you know, Dan the Torpedoes full speed ahead. I kind of respect that. Panarin's a really good player. But the result has been this kind of weird hybridized roster where Panarin and Zibanejad are going ham on shit, and then the rest of the team isn't actually all that good. And then Jacob Truba on that it's like, deal. It's like the... <laughs> it's the most stars and scrubs roster I've seen. Yeah, yeah. And uh, also Capo Caco is having just like a a really rough introduction to the NHL. Again, he's 19. It's Yeah, fine. he's been he's been bad. Again, another one of those um great prospects who shows us how ridiculous Matthews, Eichel, McDavid are. Yeah. Where like just, they they came in from day 1 and were like, "Oh, these guys are like just elite players." Like immediately. Yeah, that just does not happen that often even if you are a top 2 pick in the draft. And we're seeing that now. It definitely doesn't close the door on Capo Caco ever being as good as he's supposed to be. There's every reason to be patient. You're doing the, uh, you're doing the Jim Houston thing. You, you always say Capo Caco. <laughs> oh, fuck, no. Um, <laughs> you've become what you've hated. I know. Ah. It has to be said, Adam Fox has been really cool for them. He was a good pickup. Yes, Fox is very, I mean, very good. Also, in your defense, Capo Caco is just such a fun name to say. I know. I just I have to say the whole thing every time. It feels like a magic spell or something. I don't know. But uh, yeah, that said, in picking up Adam Fox, who they got from Carolina, Fox pretty openly wanted to play in New York, 
and he was a college draftee, so he could have just left college and then signed wherever he wanted. So, you know, I think the Rangers had a clear leg up there. But they did. They signed him up to a deal. It's just, yeah, this is a weird team. This is a team in a weird spot because, yeah, they're bad and they're being dragged to respectability by a superhuman showing from a top player. And I could see this all kind of coming together for them where, like, the talent kind of blossoms and fills out around Panarin while he's still good. Or this could just turn into, like, a hybrid mess where they jump the gun. They don't draft high going forward. They don't succeed in surrounding him with enough talent. And the whole thing's a mess. I have no idea how this is going to go. I would actually be really fascinated to, to look into the future with regard to the Rangers. What a strange team. Yeah. The coaching is, is the big question mark to me. I don't know if the coaches are any good. And I, I mean that genuinely. Like, they're... they're process seems really bad i don't know if that's just like the players are kind of crappy or Mm -hmm. they're playing a style where it's like okay like we cannot win a conventional style we have to gun it and hope that panarin and zibanejad can just you know shoot better than everyone else which they have mostly been doing this year yeah i mean i i don't love it as a long-term strategy but you never know (laughs) um yeah anyway i would say by and large though this is like a bad team they're a bad team in disguise yes they're not as good as, in my opinion, uh, Calgary or Nashville, you know, teams who are in the same sort of point bracket. Panarin can make them look much better than they are for a little while. And he genuinely deserves like heart trophy buzz for how good he's been this year. But I don't know. He's my pick for the heart. Yeah, I think that that's fair. He's been unbelievably good. And... Yeah, I just don't know that he can make this work. You know, like I've seen heroic performances from players before. And again, Taylor Hall, we were just talking about, uh, drags the Devils to the playoffs. But yeah, strange times. Well, let's put it this way. The Rangers are in a really awkward position where they try and leap out of a rebuild. And they did get a lot of talent. I'm damned if I know which way it's going to go. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, the Ottawa Senators. Ooh, this will be a fun one. Uh, you know, we've laughed at the Ottawa Senators a lot. and I There isn't a lot to say about them. Yeah. You know what, though? They've had a... I said before this year, this could be kind of a fun year in Ottawa. And I think it is. I think that... Yeah, no, I, I agree. Yeah. Uh, I mean... They did some weird stuff with Nemesnikov where they had him for a couple months just to have a warm body, I guess. But by and large, you know, like, it's a rebuild year. They know that. They're going to get a ton of picks. They were kind of scrappy for a while before they fell apart. That's fine. That's the best you can expect from them. It's sort of a just keep doing what you're doing right now. You're a bad team. You're rebuilding. That's okay. You've kind of leaned into it. They did well on the Peugeot trade. They are going to get a huge, huge pick out of San Jose. As in, like, a top five and could win the lottery pick, which is enormous. Um, They're going to have a clear cap sheet as of next year for all the good that does. I mean, you have to be willing to spend actual money, too. But... 
Aside from, you know, the somewhat overpaid of Colin White and then the Bobby Ryan deal, which they're just, you know, they're just going to live with that now. I've said it before and I'll say it again. If Eugene Melnick sold the team tomorrow to replacement level owner, this team would be in a great rebuild position. They would be laughing. You know, like they would be thinking two or three years down the line, we could be really scary. And it's not guaranteed that we'll take that step. But a lot of pieces are in place, or you can see how they can get them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think Ottawa is um, a really good case study as to why the most fun time to be a diehard fan of a team is when they have committed to a rebuild. Yes. Because you don't care about wins and losses. In fact, you're actively cheering for, for losses for the most part. But if you win, it's like, okay, cool. You get to see your team score and win, and that that's nice too. Mm-hmm. Um but, you know, there's literally no pressure. You can Every time a young player of yours who's in a part of the team going forward does something nice, you're like, hey, look at that guy. And you can make, like, absurd comparisons. It's like, yeah, that, guy, that reminds me a bit of Sidney Crosby when he was 19. Right? I mean, never <laughs> mind that Sidney Crosby bit, had, like, you know? 450 points. Yeah, <laughs> you, you can be, like, a little deranged, right? Um, you, you post all those, uh, like, comparisons of your team to other cup-winning teams. Like, yeah, I think this guy could easily be a second-line center on a cup-winning team for sure. Yeah. Yes, he has three goals in 45 games, but he's young. <laughs> There's a lot of time for him to grow. Yeah, and so... Exactly. Like, yeah. And then the thing is, when you when you actually build up, expectations come into the fold, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, shit, we have to, we have to be good. Every, every lost game is a crisis. Yeah, all right? the fun goes so, out of it. But, so, so Senators fans, you know, all seven of you, um, <laughs> enjoy this. This is, this is where it's Enjoy fun. it while it lasts. Yeah, I, I would say... I, I mean, they still have the Nikita Zaitsev contract, which was like, they shouldn't have let us do that, frankly. That was a really bad trade I, for I, I, I still don't understand what the rationale was. Was there even like a, a dollar uh, value aspect to it? Uh, we paid a signing bonus before we traded him, and they got Connor Brown, who also had a signing bonus. So, yeah, he... Uh, I mean, it saved them some money if they were trying to get to the cap floor because he had he had like an owable salary of one point five million and a cap hit of four point five, so he's like a classic mm-hmm. Sanders player. But it's like he's still on the team for four years after that this one, and you still have to pay him a yeah. lot of money. So I don't know. I don't know if it was just DJ Smith was like, you know what, this guy's super underrated or whatever. It might be. Uh, every year they just trade him to us on July thirtieth. And then we pay the signing bonus, and they trade. We trade him back, you know, July second. Yeah, just uh, some shameless. Uh, some shameless. Is there money any point. rule against that besides, besides like the the catch all like circumvention rule? Um, there's one specific one about if you retain money on a trade, you can't trade them back to the team that you trade them to within a year. But if they, right, but if it's just like for paying signing bonuses, I. I guess it'd be so brazen that, like, you couldn't possibly do it without it being obvious, like, kind of dollar circumvention. Yeah, and we'd have to see if the league would put up with that, although the league has put up with a lot. But, yeah, I don't know that in and of itself it would be illegal as long as you didn't retain. So, anyway, that's fun to think about. But, yeah, it is worth noting, at the time of suspension, Ottawa was in 30th, San Jose was in 29th. So, like... If you assume a flat lottery, which you shouldn't, but what else can we do? That would have them picking second and third. 
So you get Byfield and you get, you know, Tim Stutzel or Marco Rossi or Jamie Drysdale or something. That's really good. You know, like that that's can a, leapfrog a team, especially when you have a, a really good young player like Brady Kachuk and Thomas Shabbat already. Yeah, and they've got Brandstrom in the system. You know, I, I think Formington is interesting coming up just because he skates like the friggin' wind. I don't know. Like, just if they don't screw this up entirely, and they easily could, they should be in, in a great spot. They really should. Uh,. An underrated thing is, like, one, you know, Connor Brown has delivered beyond their wildest dreams, I think. And Anthony mm-hmm. DeClaire has been a huge pickup for them. And as long as they don't get silly with paying those guys for really hot years, I think that they could, you know, that having some talent that they could possibly do something with, maybe trade them at the draft or something, or position yourself to make a deal with them. I just think there's so much that I actually honestly like about where the Senators are positioned, and there's so much that would worry me about their ability to capitalize on that going forward. So, yeah, there's certainly a lot to be really hopeful about. Yeah, and, you, you know, if they play their cards right, the Senators could be a genuinely terrifying team in three years or so. And, you know, they would have to get quite lucky for that to happen, but it's not impossible. And I do remember the Sens being good at times in the past. So we'll wait and see. But by no means is it totally bleak there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have no idea what to make of the Philadelphia Flyers, honestly. They're just a... They're, no, I think they're team. just good. Are they? I, I, I'm not baffled by them. I think they're good. Really? Yeah. They're like 15 yeah, next Genuinely, I... Yeah, but I mean, like, I I don't know. Like, they're... They have they have a lot of good players. Mm-hmm. They're, they have good shooters. Like, I, 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 I don't think necessarily they're the best team in the world or anything. No, no. But, but yeah, I, I buy that they're a good team. Part of this might just be my long-standing love for... Um, for, what's-his-face, Sean Couturier. Because he's just a genuinely brilliant player but it's like I, I believe in Carter Hart like he's had a really good year but he's also been a super highly touted goalie prospect so I think they have an actual goalie that's that's number one so I, I, I'm kind of mentally projecting them higher than where their uh, XG probably puts them and then I, they have the elite talent that I like right so I think they're sure their XG is probably average but they're elevated above that I think yeah, I mean, Claude Giroux is a star player. There's yes. no getting around it. And, you know, Jacob Voracek is still good with, like, flashes to brilliance. And so I agree with you on, on that. I don't know. I, I They were really, really hot right going into the cancellation. They'd won nine in a row and then just lost once right before we stopped play. But they, they blazed their way up the Metro. And, you know... I could see how they would overperform. Let's put it that way. They certainly have a lot of talent. They're a good roster, and they might have been just getting hot at the right time. If I look at the Metro, mm-hmm. though, I don't have them as good as the Capitals or the Penguins. Even granted, the, the Penguins Capitals, have slumped. The Capitals have been like bad for a while, though. 
Yeah, but the Capitals always look like they're bad. And then it's like, surprise, motherfucker, we have a 35% power play. Too bad. And they just win. I, like, I absolutely have a semi-mystical belief in the Washington Capitals at this point and their ability to outshoot their percentages. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I like Philly's power play. Yeah. I, like, I think it's better than their, their numbers show. Again, they have elite finishing talent. So that, that helps. I don't know. I just I just buy into them as a good team. Um, I I think they're they're a similar level to Washington. I, like Washington has really really. You talk about a team that has like kind of crappy advanced stats. Washington's perennially one of those those teams. Well, they're always or just, are not as good. They're not. Yeah, they're, 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 they're middling, like, more fair yeah. than crappy. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're, you're right. They're not crappy, but yeah, I I see them as a similar level to Washington for sure. Yeah, fair enough. I, I mean, it's just they're, series, they're, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. I, I think I like I trust their goal anymore, and I think their star players are more tilted towards defense, but they're no less effective. That's fair. I mean, Couturier is phenomenal. He is a really good player, and you know, Hayes has been a guy for them. They do have players. You know, they have guys who can. Who you know? I talked about like the the name recognition issue that I have with the Islanders. The Flyers are the opposite. They have names where I look at them and I'm like, that's a good player. That's a contract I would want. That's something that I I understand. You know, as components of a good team. It's just then I look at the overall output and I find myself thinking, I don't know that they're actually that good. Maybe they are. Lately, they've looked like it, at least in terms of results. You know, the goal differential has shot up. The wins have been there. Maybe this is real. I, I just, I'm a little unconvinced. I think they're a playoff team on talent, for sure. They should make it. I mean, they basically already have with all the points that they've banked. Mm-hmm. Uh, even if we were to restart play, it would be ex- almost impossible for them to miss. But Something yeah. we need to discuss. Mm-hmm. When did James Van Riemsdyk, like, just become this isolated threat god? <laughs> it's an RAPM. Like, it's the weirdest thing. Is he still getting, like, hella sheltered or something? I'm so confused by it. I don't even know what you do with, with JVR now. But, like, it is worth noticing. He, um, all those times with Bozak and Marner, they were sheltered as hell. But their results were insanely good. Um, now, he's out with a busted finger right now. But, you know, the, the hope is that they'll have him back before any playoffs that might happen. In which case, you know, he is a premier net front player in this league. And his on-ice numbers, again, are really, really good this year. And I, I, I don't know what usage he's getting. Specific. Like, I know he's, he's playing kind of uh, a top, like a scoring line role, but he's not like a top liner or anything like that. Mm-hmm. He's obviously elite on the power play. But I don't know yeah. if he's getting like shelter or anything like that. But for whatever it's worth, RAPM and Isolated Threat love him this year. That's so fascinating for a guy who was like infamously a one-way player. But uh, yeah, I mean, he's mm-hmm. he's good. They have guys. They have talent that is impressive to me. And so that's actually just despite, you know, Nolan Patrick has unfortunately had concussion-related issues. And that has uh, made it difficult for him to to play regularly, much less, you know, deliver on his draft spot. And obviously the first priority with him right now is just getting healthy enough to, you know, kind of build his career. 
but even despite that, um, it is impressive how the Flyers have done. I don't know. I'm, I'm just a little reluctant to buy it. I can't quite believe it, but, you know, they'll get in. And once they're in, they have the materials to make anything happen. You know, they have the forwards. As you've said, they have uh, they have the goaltending now in Carter Hart. How often have we been able to say that Philadelphia has goaltending in the last 20 mm-hmm. years? But, yeah, so, yeah. I can see what there is to like about them. They may be a team that's rising out of the middle. You know, we talk so much about that that bell curve of teams. They might be uh, approaching the right end in terms of caliber of team. Yeah. So I guess we should move across the state to uh, Pittsburgh. The Pittsburgh Penguins. I'll believe the Pittsburgh Penguins are done when they are dead and have been buried for like three years. Until then, yeah, the, I... the Penguins are a contender in my mind. As long Even as if... they have Malkin, Crosby, and the Tang playing at some semblance of their peak, um, they are a threat. And they've, you know, I think the, they've made some mistakes. I, I don't get the, the Brandon Tanev uh, contract. It's a bit mm-hmm. much. But I think they're doing smart things generally. They're, they're just saying, okay, you know what? We have these three guys. They're not going to be around forever. Fuck the future. Like, we talk about Montreal having a lot of picks. These guys have no picks, and it doesn't matter. Nope. You know, this is the definition of a flags fly forever team. Yeah, and they do. And you know what? It it is... It's kind of refreshing seeing a team that is consistently in that zone, makes no bones about it, says, every year we are going all in until this thing burns to the fucking ground. And that's exactly the right attitude. Um, as you said, flags fly forever. They can legitimately contend every year as long as those guys are alive. So yeah, good for them. And Washington is in the same boat, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, that said, the results since the start of this calendar year, to pick a cutoff, if you'll forgive me, have been pretty bad. Like they haven't looked as good as they did early on when they were kind of dominant mm-hmm. and they were getting remarkable goaltending out of Tristan Jerry who was not expected to provide that level of goaltending. Whereas I don't know what's going on with Matt Murray after doing so well, so early in his career, he's really struggled. Yeah. I mean, another data point and we really have a hard time predicting goaltenders. One thing I want to point out is um, Sidney Crosby, after a brilliant defensive year last year has not had the same level of defensive brilliance this year. He's missed some time. I'm not going to claim to watch every Penguins game, so I don't know if, you know, these numbers can be volatile year to year despite um, not huge differences in the player themselves, but that's something worth monitoring if that last Mm -hmm. year was like a blip of, hey, I'm just a Selkie player now, and now he he isn't for whatever reason, but Mm -hmm. that'll be worth keeping an eye on. But yeah, I I almost have nothing to say about this team because as long as they have those guys, they are going to be good. And then Jake Gensel is very good. We we talked about... um, talked about Jason Zucker. Patrick Hornfist still has a role to play. As your your very famous tweet now points out, you know, they have a habit of just putting guys alongside Malkin and Crosby and they end up being very good. Yeah, and you know, that's that's great for them. Uh Brian Rust had 56 points in 55 games at the time of conclusion. It is worth noting obviously the centers are the centers that they're able to put these guys with are to a large extent driving the bus. Like, I'm not saying I think Brian Rust is doing this on, you know, 
unassisted by any means. But it's worth noting, you have to get guys who are good enough to deliver at that level. And it's a rare, rare player. Like, I don't even think Sidney Crosby can turn a complete nobody into a better-than-point-of-game player or Malkin. Like, there has to be some base level of talent there that they can multiply. And so they've done a good job of getting huge gains out of guys like Gwensel and Rust and other such players who are good to start with and then can become great in terms of impact because of who they're able to play with. And so they've done a lot with what picks they've had, even though they've been drafting quite low, if at all, for years now. I mean, you really do have to respect what the Penguins have been able to do with the gifts they got. And, you know, they were generationally fortunate to get Crosby and Malkin. But since then, they've managed to continually build competitive teams around them. And so they've had a contending window that's as long as any teams. You know, Chicago rose and fell entirely within that time. And we're still talking about the Penguins as a contender. Yeah. So credit to them for that. Yeah. That said, you know, I've said all that, but the results are a bit iffy. So have fun with that. Uh, San Jose. Oh, <laughs> oh no. This was um, everything that can go wrong here, right? It's pretty brutal I for them. I would say that, you know, we talked about you don't want to be in a position with no flexibility and no talent. They've got talent, but it's all getting old. And their flexibility is really iffy. They don't have their own first, which is probably going to be a top five pick. Oh, I've mentioned this before. But they have contracts outstanding to Logan Couture, Evander Kane, Brent Burns, Marc-Edouard Vlasic, and Eric Carlson. And all of those deals run to at least summer 2025 and the combined payout on them is 41 million dollars 41.5 excuse me they're so locked in to all of these players who are all in varying stages of decline right now the youngest of them is 28 i think yeah burns is 35 now vlasic is 32 and bad now uh they also have this glaring Martin Jones contract and Jones has been atrocious for them this team is fried we said over the summer you know when the end comes in San Jose it's going to come hard I did not think it would come this fast but it has now and I think this team is fucked I think they had a great run and they were really unlucky not to win a cup in all of those years where they had Joe Thornton playing really, really well. But I think this team is now going to go into an excruciating rebuild. So, yeah. uh, There are... mm. (laughs) I don't know. If some of these guys can get back up to par, that would go a long way. And, you know, I still like Hurdle and Timo Meyer and all that sort of stuff. They've got... Meyer's excellent. My, Meyer might be player. the most 
underrated player in the league because he especially yeah, cause he's injured this year now so people have forgotten how good he is yeah and and hurdle's been been out but he's he's a good player and both those guys are on reasonable contracts for all the good it does it's just unless all of these those older contracts age better than i think they will i think that they're going to have a flock of albatrosses to deal with like they're going to be in really rough shape maybe maybe they get some of that aging magic that uh pavelski and thornton seem to have for so long and burns and carlson rebuild next year uh rebound next year and they're better than i think but this is a ghastly situation to be in mm-hmm. just just and awful. doug wilson doug wilson's a bit of a wheeler dealer like he he's gonna try stuff mm-hmm. i think he's a good gm in general like i again the 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 Sharks have been good since, like, 2005. Yeah. So, it, it's... You're, you're paying the piper at some point. I, I don't... Mm-hmm. I think he's obviously made mistakes, but by and large, his body of work has been good. Um, the Meyer deal is excellent, but as, as you said, it's like, you know, the Meyer deal, it's, it's like walking into a forest fire with a super soaker. You know, like, the, everything else <laughs> is so bad, it almost doesn't matter. Yeah, that that's the thing. And I agree with you for the record. I think Doug Wilson has done a great job for a long time. But he got into a cycle of, okay, we got to take one last run with this core. And it got them to the finals as recently as a couple years ago. But now the Bills come and do. And it's brutal. It's, it's just carnage on that cap sheet. I really can't emphasize how rare it is to have that much money owed on dubious contracts five years out. Because we've been talking about things like Parise and Suter, or Shea Weber and Carey Price and stuff like that. None of those teams has the level of commitment in five years to players who will all be mid to late 30s or early 40s than San Jose does. They are in a league of their own in terms of their massive commitment. And they're all to players who are or were really good. But decline looks to be setting in across the board. And if that's borne out, this is just going to be an awful, awful few years for them. I, I, it like, really is. Yeah. That, I mean, I, there's probably not a lot else to say, except that it's a goddamn nightmare. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, have fun with that. Uh, the St. Louis Blues are having a fun time. Uh, they're still quite a good team. Yeah. I think that they're, yeah, like they're as good a team as there is in the Western Conference, probably. Uh, the record bears that out at time of suspension. They were second in the NHL and tops in the West. Yeah, just kind of keep doing what you're doing sort of thing. They, I don't know how long it's going to last, but... They're like the macro perspective, but their fancy stats are not that great, though. Yeah, I mean they're not like dominant. They they're, had a they're the same as Phillies. Yeah, and so I'm giving them probably too much credit for you know having won last year. That said, they've turned it on a bit in the last couple months. Like I, I, again, I'm using the January first. That's true. Off. They had a pretty putrid start. Yeah, they had like uh, you know cup hangover sort of thing. But they've they've surged back up and they're now seventh in XG in this uh, in 2020 for whatever you want to make of that. I think that 
this is a quite good team. They don't have a ton of star power, per se. Like, they have a lot of really good players. And I don't know what's going to happen with Alex Petrangelo. It doesn't sound like they've really strained themselves to keep him. But if there is a playoff play this year, I like their chances pretty well. You know, mm-hmm. they and Tarasenko look been, like the class. Yeah. Tarasenko's been out this year as well, right? And having him back is a big boon. Yeah. And, you know, Jay Bomeister had a, a cardiac event. I, I would assume that he it's he's ready to probably hang up his skates now. Just you don't want to take chances with that. He's had an excellent career. He's 36. And uh, if that's if that's the end for him, he's had a great run. I'm glad he was able to get a cup. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that this is a solid team. Just like a solid top nine. Uh, very good defense built around Petrangelo and Perego. Jordan Bennington has been certainly good enough. And Jake Allen has actually been pretty respectable to really good this year. <laughs> kind of out of nowhere yeah I actually you know what I I like the position this team is in I I think that yeah. certainly it's it's down to them or Colorado to uh to be the favorites in the west and good for them uh mm-hmm. I, I agree the, Ta- the Tampa Bay Lightning uh speaking of good I, teams yeah I still think they're the best team in the NHL just for my money I just believe that they are I think that they're dominant fancy stats have been terrific since they woke up uh they've surged in the standings they slumped a little bit lately but that was after an enormous run where they basically just stopped losing so they're tied for third with colorado just i look at this lineup and i think there is not a team that can put that level of firepower on the ice at forward that i think they're respectable on defense as long as they get sufficient goaltending out of Vasilevsky, and he's returned to form as the year has gone on, I, I would favor this team to win the Cup. The only thing that they have against them is a tough path out of their division. And, you know, if, if the playoff format changes, who knows where we'll end up. But, yeah, just a, a top-to-bottom excellent team, and... I think they, they got punched in the mouth by Columbus last year. I don't think that's going to happen again. Yeah, um, I don't really have a lot to add there. We, we, we talk about Tampa a lot because they're the specter hanging over the Leafs. Or at least they were for much of the season. As you said, we don't know where it's going from here with the, a playoff format or if this year is going to happen. Um, but yeah, they're a ridiculous team model franchise in today's NHL, which doesn't mean they don't make mistakes, but you know, they've been very good, and I expect them to go deep this year. Yeah. They acquired Zach Bogosian, which I don't know. I don't think that made a lot of sense, because I don't think Zach Bogosian is good. But, you know, if they want to give him $1.3 million to be a depth defenseman for the rest of the year, they can. And I've seen Tampa make silk purses out of South's years before. Cough, cough, Dan Girardi. Cough, cough. So, yeah, all things considered, dominant team. Wouldn't want to bet against them. Their only real thing is that they're going to run into Boston, possibly, as we've been saying. So, good for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs. Let's just not. Um, <laughs> it hurts too much. Um, 
Yeah, I don't know. We'll we'll just uh, skate over them. We'll have plenty of time to talk about the Toronto Maple Leafs. The short version is, I think that they are a a high end middle team lately, with the potential to be more. I'm sure every fan base tells themselves that their team has the potential to be more, but based on firepower, I think the Leafs could surprise. Right now, they've shown themselves to be pretty good but not by any means outstanding and above the pack. Yep. Um, so I think the next team is Vancouver then, right? Yeah, and Vancouver was in 20th at the time of uh, the season being paused. They're right on the but edge also, of the playoff race. Yeah, in yeah. a playoff spot because of a weak division. Exactly. And so it's very tight, but they're in there. Um, so I've, I've There's a lot to like. Yeah, yeah I, I, here, here's my take on Vancouver. They're mm-hmm. sort of, um, they remind me of, a, of like an inverse New Jersey mm. uh, from a like uh, from a front office perspective because the front office has like made so many like dumb acquisitions and signings, except this mm-hmm. front office, as opposed to New Jersey, has just hit on every single draft pick. Not every single, but they've just hit home runs with Hughes, with Besser, with Pedersen. And that has essentially changed everything about their franchise. Yes, they have an outstanding core. It has to be said, they made that JT Miller trade, and we did not think much of it. JT Miller has 72 points in 69 games. That's mm-hmm. pretty impressive, any way you slice it. Yeah, I mean, I, I more thought it was a weird trade in that, you know, I didn't expect them to be good. They, they did lottery protect their the, the pick, so it wasn't mm-hmm. as, like, dangerous as it, as it could have been but i'm like it, it just felt like a weird thing to me of like i'm not sure they're that good now and in a sense i think we've been shown to be right they're not that good they're 20th in the league but the division is so weak that they're still you know in the hunt for a playoff spot mm-hmm. and so yeah that, that's fair to say and you know they are right along that line the question is going to be now can Benning deliver on surrounding Besser, Hughes, and of course Pedersen with the talent they need to be a genuine contender? Because when you get a core like they have, anything less than we are a genuine contender is eventually a huge disappointment. Like they've put together a group of young players that plenty of teams have been struggling for years to come close to. Like, you've, you've heard all, us talk about all those middling teams. Vancouver has the potential to have a core that sets them above that pack. And it's going to come down to, can they make intelligent supporting moves to build around that? Because you have rock-solid uh, first-line center. You have a guy who looks like he's going to be a Norris contender on defense. That should get you a long way. So, Yeah. We'd this be remiss to yeah, not mention Bo Horvat as well. He's a very good yeah. player. I, I see him almost as like the Morgan Riley of their team. You know, he was there for some real shit times. Mm-hmm. Um, excellent player on a good deal. The thing is, I, yeah. I just don't trust Benning. I just don't trust him at all. No. And it is it is worth noting for all that we've lauded them, their XG has not been great lately. Actually, since uh, since the calendar turned, I'm just going to keep using that cutoff, at least for consistency. Uh, they've been 26th. 
in the NHL in that regard. And it's like, I don't know about this, you know? Like, that seems to me like a reflection of we don't have a complete team yet. And do you trust Benning to get that for you? As you said, well, probably not. Well, I thought your long numbers if... aren't. Yeah. Oh, sorry, their year-long numbers aren't much better, just to add to, to your point. Uh, go ahead. Yeah, sorry. You know what? They were hot for like a month is what it was. And that really faded pretty quickly. I remembered like Tyler Myers somehow had great fancy stats for a while. And that's pretty much over now. Um, yeah, there's... I talked about if Ottawa had a different owner, I would be over the moon about their rebuild prospects. If Vancouver just put Jim Benning as like head of amateur scouting and then got a better GM to do the rest of the work, I would really say Vancouver's in an enviable position. As it is, you know, they have a lot. I don't know. They have so much that I like. They have, they have those key pieces that are so good. But yeah, I don't trust Benning to make the most of it. And that's probably the scariest thing in Vancouver right now. Yes. The other thing is, pretty soon, they're not really, they're not going to have any cap issues for the next two years. But Hughes and Pedersen, I believe, both expire uh, in 21-22. Although I think yeah, Hughes uh, will be a, a group two free agent. Right, yeah. So, I mean, we'll see how that goes. But, yeah, in summer 2021, they have to sign big ticket contracts. Yes, and then, you know, at that point, that year might be a bit of a, a crunch because they'll still have Erickson on, on his contract. They'll still have Miller. They'll still have Roussel and Beagle making too much money. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll see how that goes. But you know, right now, they're very much a team that's driven by their youngsters. Yeah, that's that's who's getting it done. And, you know, they've Thatcher Demko was sort of easing his way in. They have a decision to make on Jacob Markstrom, who's been their starting goalie for the year, but who is unrestricted in 30. And do they want to give the keys to Demko going forward? That's a tough decision. Because if you're thinking, okay, I've got my core on ELCs right now, maybe you hope to make some noise next year. So that's, uh, that's another piece of the puzzle. There's... We've just been through some of this with in, in Toronto with when you have this good core of players, okay, now what do you do next? And I think it's fair to say Toronto has had some issues with what do you do next. It's tough to make that step to the top table. The Canucks as they are right now are still not as good as the Leafs were in 17-18 for my money. They have a much more impressive defenseman than the Leafs have had, geez, maybe ever. But um, but they don't have the same forward depth to surround them, and they don't have the the team metrics. So we'll see how they they navigate this going forward. Yeah, if they had someone better than Betting, they'd be in terrific shape. Maybe he'll he'll figure it out. Maybe not. One thing I want to add before we move on, um, mm-hmm. Alexander Edler is someone who falls into the Essa Lindell theory. Oh, yeah. Because he was, um... He was kind of the second-ish guy on those really good Vancouver teams behind yep. Christian Ehrhoff yep. on defense and maybe Dan Hanley's. Exactly. But, yeah. Yeah. The, <laughs> the strength of the theory is growing 
And so we'd find more examples. <laughs> so tell your All friends. Right. Um, so moving on to Vegas. Vegas. Vegas is a really good team. That's uh, that's what I think yeah, about they're, that. They're they're almost they're almost boring and just that like they're they're just yeah they're just a good team. Um, and I don't think they're necessarily like I think um, what's his face? Who's their who's their GM again? Uh, it's not actually George McPhee. He was kicked upstairs into the presidency. But it's Kelly McCrimmon now, who was like the assistant guy. Yeah, surely McPhee is still the kind of doing the yeah caught in the shots right. Well, what seemed to happen there was I think they were worried Kelly McCrimmon was going to get hired away by someone, who, by a team that would make him the GM, probably Seattle, frankly. And so they decided we need to give him the job here so we don't lose him. And they also weren't eager to lose McPhee. So they've just sort of gone to this other arrangement. They fired uh, Gerard Gallant, which I don't think anyone saw coming. I mean, they had some ups and downs, but, like, it was mostly goaltending. And in every other respect, they were exemplary under him. That said, Pete DeBoer has come in, and they've been fine since. And they just picked up Robin Lehner at the trade deadline, assisted by us, by the way. And so, if that stabilizes their goaltending, if they ever do get a playoff run, this is a really good team. You know, I I said... Um, Colorado and St. Louis would duke it out in the West. Vegas is the other team. Um, also, just since I've been I agree. talking... Sorry, go ahead. Oh, uh, one thing I wanted to add was they might be a team that's somewhat hurt by... <clears throat> excuse me. That's hurt by this stoppage because they they put a lot of chips in, right? Like, if this season gets canceled, that trade for Leonard, well, his contract expires, right? So they wouldn't have gotten mm-hmm. what they wanted out of him through no fault of them or of Leonard. So it's right. a bit of a high leverage situation for them. Um, sorry, go ahead. What were you going to say before? I was just going to say, just since I've been using that cutoff, in this year, they're not only the best team since the start of January in XG, they're crushing the field. No one else is close. And they've always been a good fancy stat team. Impressive depth, great two-way forward in Mark Stone, who I think is now finally at the point where we can say he's no longer underrated, but he's really good. Um, they've put together an effective defense. So, yeah, all things considered, I would say that this is just a very solid top-to-bottom team. The Really, the only concern here is that they want to cash in relatively soon because they're in a win-now mode. But, yeah. Mm-hmm. I agree. Okay, so, cruising down the list, the Washington Capitals. Speaking of win now. Yeah, uh, no team has ever been more win now than they are. They actually still have their first this year, which is kind of fascinating. Um, look, again, when the end comes for this team, it's going to be gross. But they got their cup. They've been great for the last few years, at least in terms of standings output, to the point where I trust them to outperform their their metrics, which are kind of middling. They've still got the best goal scorer in history. And so, you know what? Ride that train out. What else are you going to do? <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, the There's, like, certain, I guess, 
times where it's easier to be a GM than others. I think maybe the easiest time is when you're just completely tearing down. Yeah. Because you can make kind of a bunch of low effort trades where it's like, okay, we have this this guy who's expiring. Just call every GM in the league. You know, I'm hey, this guy's up for offer. What are you going to get for him? There's like no, there's negotiation, but there's no like ambiguity about, oh, should I trade this guy? Should I not trade this guy? How do I build this team? One of the other places where it might be a little bit easier is when you're in a situation like Washington is in because you're, you're just paying, you're, you're just saying, okay, we have our, these two guys who we owe it to to build a team around, mm-hmm. in this case, Ovechkin and Backstrom. And everything is just built around that. And you don't really have to worry about the future. Right? As bad as that is to say, it, it's kind of like, okay, realistically, like we are just trying to be as good as we can every single year. Yeah. And just give ourselves a chance every single year. And like with San Jose, when the Piper has to be paid, it's going to be awful. But, you know, that's that's life. You you, you make that trade any day. Mm-hmm. You, you trade five years of shit on the back end for 15 years of Ovi. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, now they gave Nick Backstrom, who is an outstanding, like, Hall of Fame center, uh, they gave him quite a deal. It's five years after this one at 9.2. And he was kind of underpaid up till now, so I guess he was kind of being made good as much as anything. And he's still great. But, you know, that's probably not going to end super well. I don't know what's going to happen with Ovi, if he's going to go home uh, in 2021, or if he's going to stick around and take a serious run at Gretzky's goals record. But, yeah, like, at this point, you know the Washington Capitals. You've seen what they can do. Not too much has really changed lately in my estimation of them. You know, Braden Holtby's struggled a bit. He's kind of being phased out for Ilya Samsonov. So I don't think it'll be the Capitals who give Holtby his next contract. But, yeah, it has to be said the Tom Wilson deal from a dollars and cents perspective is probably better than I think some of us thought. He's Wilson's abhorrent, but he's a good player. Yeah, he's, he's awful and effective. And, you know, I think he actually should be made to be less effective than he is because the league should suspend him more. They've, they've kind of tried to bring the hammer down on him before, and it's... It's gone as far as it's gone, and, but... To his credit, and I shouldn't say to his credit, because it's a bit like, you know, he hasn't hit anyone over the head with a hammer in the past year. Good for him. Yeah. It's like, well, yeah, it's like the base level of being a human. <laughs> but um, he he has gotten a bit better about that. And th- that was the frustrating thing for me about him, where he was so reckless about other players' safety. Mm-hmm. Um, when he, Even without that, he's, he's a genuinely good player. Yeah, and he's he's very effective. He gives them... Insofar as there's an intimidation component, and I think that we have to be real about this and say that, like, that matters in hockey. It can. He has it. He's scary. He's effective. He's a... He's almost like Zach Hyman if Zach Hyman were bigger and infinitely dirtier and slightly more skilled in some ways. Like, he's a great complimentary player and also a real son of a bitch, so... (laughs) That's kind of the the duality of Tom Wilson. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, anyway, they have some, some mid-level contracts that I don't really love. But, like, by and large, this is a team that I take seriously to contend based on elite shooting talent and special teams. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And to wrap things up, the Winnipeg Jets. Oh, what a year it's been in Winnipeg. Uh, they're in 15th. They've kind of held it together. And 
and they haven't held it together. Connor Hellebuck has held it together. You know what? Yeah, I was about to lead it that I was like they've kind of done their best, but um, this team is actually not doing very well at all. If you don't pay much attention to the Vesna slash heart caliber season from Connor Hellebuck, their their fancy stats are awful. Awful, 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 awful. And their defense is held together with, like, spit and bailing wire. They were thinned out by the loss of Dustin Bufflin to injuries slash some conflict with the organization. Uh, they had to give up Jacob Truba a while back. They were relying on Josh Morrissey, who has been, frankly, kind of struggling uh, when he's been healthy, which he has been most of this year, it has to be said. And then the defense after that is just a nightmare. Like, they just do not have adequate defensemen. It's been kind of gruesome, actually. I don't know really what to say here, because I thought Winnipeg was going to be quite good a few years back, and then they seem to get kind of off that path. And now it's a bit like, I really don't know about this team anymore. Like, they still have several really good forwards but they're like the defense is unplayable i like i don't think that you can contend with this defense ever part of that is as you said it's not really their fault mm-hmm. right i mean Tr- truba wanted out um at, at a certain you have team control over the guy only for so long right right and you know that clock basically expired they were hugely hurt by that happening the same offseason as this whole bufflin thing mm-hmm and yeah, that, that that's, you know, any team would look terrible defensively if their two best defensemen were just kind of chopped off the roster, or two of their best defensemen, rather. Um, but yeah, it, I, some smart Winnipeg fans that I follow are, have been questioning, you know, what's Paul Maurice really doing here? Yeah, I, I don't think he's doing anything. And I don't even think he's like a, an especially bad coach. But I think that, one, Winnipeg is always slow to make major changes until they're kind of forced into them. And two, he's getting credit for the team not imploding in the standings. And it seems eminently clear that that's Connor Hellebuck's doing. And now, I mean, granted, Paul Maurice has deserved better goaltending than he's got throughout much of his coaching tenure, including with us. (laughs) And so it's kind of funny that now when he is not really succeeding in doing much, uh, that goaltending is saving him. But yeah, I mean, you put this together, they still have... A top six that should go toe-to-toe with anybody. Like, mm-hmm. Patrick Laine is, you know, now that we can put to bed the idea that he was ever as good as Austin Matthews, we can sort of appreciate him, I think, on his own abilities, which are still very impressive. Like, he's a great offensive player. Um, Blake Wheeler is still hanging in, despite being 33. Uh, we've coveted Nikolai Ehlers on this podcast, I think Mark Shifley is one of the most underrated centers in the NHL. So, yeah, like that's still a, a top six that I think is good. It's just now that now they're a top six and a goalie and not much else. And they're m- way worse in that respect than I really thought that they would be. So, yeah, that like this team is hanging around. They will go as far as Connor Hellebuck takes them. 
But I mean that more than the sense of every playoff team is carried by a goalie to some extent. I mean, as soon as Connor Hellebuck falls off a little bit, this team is dead. So they better hope that he's got some Tim Thomas in him. Because otherwise, mm-hmm. right now, this team is pretty bad. Yeah. Um, in terms of how they're set up for the future, that Weeder deal probably isn't going... Like, Weeder's still excellent now. Mm-hmm. It's always worrisome. Another four years of a 33-year-old at 8.25 mil, even if he's a very good 33-year-old. Yeah. Kyle Connor is interesting. He's he's like a Phil Kessel regen. But he doesn't get... He, people don't seem to realize that he is awful defensively yeah it's uh it's pretty glaring i almost wonder it's like if you could i'm starting to doubt my ability to evaluate winnipeg's defense because they they all look kind of rough and i'm wondering Mm -hmm. you know how much that would improve i guess one one broader question to ask is does this tell us essentially how far can a team get with replacement level defense like yeah one of the things about the you know you look at a lot of models war models and even like Mike McCurdy's isolated threat and they don't tend to view defensemen as that great no right and then a natural extension of that is okay well how far can you like should you allocate resources to defense there and I guess I don't think this is conclusive proof either way because this defense is not just adequate it's it's bad it's actively bad all right so a team with a bunch of replacement level defensemen is this maybe the best they can do with that roster being as bereft of talent as it is on the back end. Yeah, uh, and that might be the answer. Because, you know, they're all still scoring. Kyle Connor is 38 goals. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Line A is still a near point of game player. They've, yeah, they've got the top six offense and then just nothing. And, and, you know, we've talked about having not very much on defense. The Leafs' defense, even minus Riley and Muzzin, as it was for a while is still better than the defense that the Jets have had to put out throughout much of this year. That's really bad. Like, <laughs> it's it's just very glaring. I should also say they have this Brian Little contract, and he's been injured most of this year. But I don't know what's going there. They've always been kind of struggling with, do we have a good enough second-line center? And every year they seem to conclude that they need to upgrade on Brian Little. And then they end up losing whoever they acquired like they did with Hayes. You mean Stastny? Uh, they, oh, did it they, happened did, with both of them, didn't it? Oh, it happened with both. Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Jeez, poor Winnipeg. Fuck. I know. It's not easy. And that's the, the other thing hanging over them is that like they are not going to be a super competitive free agency team. They have to find other avenues to upgrade their team up to a certain point. And so with where they are now... It's by no means bad. They have that that fistful of great young forwards, but they're like almost a decayed version of the Leafs where they don't have... The only thing you can say is like they're not paying their young forwards to the same extent that we are. Like we're, we're more paid out there. But in every other respect, I think that they're like a little worse at the top six, a little thinner down the lineup, worse at defense, better in net for now, and so they better just have to ho- hope, you know, Connor Hellebuck is going to keep delivering for them. But for a team that I thought had it in them to be a real perennial contender, this is a rough state of affairs. It's it's mm-hmm. it's been a letdown, even though they're they're still superficially hanging around, and even 
you know, they look like they're about on par with the Leafs, but they're it's goaltending and not a lot else. So the one thing we forgot to mention um, is that among the people who who think that they need to upgrade on Brian Dettel, apparently that included Patrick Laine. Yeah, <laughs> that's the other thing. Laine does not did not apparently want to play with Patrick Laine. He made some comments over the off season about who he was kind of set with on his lines. He took a two-year bridge deal at 6.75. He's giving certainly great value for production on that right now, but it's like, I don't get the impression that that relationship is going super well. And I'm not sure that the team scuffling with no defense for a year has done a lot to improve it, but I don't know. Yeah, we, we will see. Yeah. Okay, uh, that's the whole NHL. We finished at about the same time as last week, so at least we're consistent. Yeah, I'm f- four hours of pod content <laughs> for the last two weeks. This is that's probably our longest back-to-back episodes. Yeah, this was uh, this was a lot. But thanks to uh, to everyone who has listened and who has made it this far. God bless you. It's it's really cool that we still appear to have an audience, as far as we can tell, at uh, at this tough time in the the history of the world. So thank you for listening. We hope it's been fun. Yeah. Yep. Um, you can find all of mine and Fuleman's work at pensionplanpuppets.com. You can also follow us on Twitter, bully Fuleman into some more um, bad purchases. <laughs> That's it now. I got to save my money. For yeah, the coming so you, you can do that at, uh, you can follow me at RV and Fuleman at AT Fuleman. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you next week. Bye.